I'm Matt Booker. And I'm Dave Laird. And welcome to a super cool 2016 best year ever year in review episode of The Great Concavity. And so, Matt, welcome, man. It is episode 24. 24. And as is our custom, we get to talk about the last year because it's, it's the early part of January right now. It still feels like 2016, but I guess we've flipped the calendar over into 2017. And so <laughs> we have. I wonder if like 2016 feels for a lot of people like a, a Sisyphusian nightmare where they're just infinitely rolling the ball up and down the hill. <laughs> you can't I don't escape know. it. <laughs> Perhaps. Um, we, right before we, we did this, we solicited some of, uh, some of the listeners' thoughts on Twitter about things they want to hear us talk about, and someone said, anything but Trump. That was the first comment we got, so let's try and circumnavigate that topic a little bit, I suppose, if we can, and try and maybe focus on some of, some of our favorite things of the last year. Well, I think maybe you asked at the wrong time of the day, and if, <laughs> if you asked at a different time of day, maybe some of our UK followers would say anything but Brexit, or yeah. you would get a different response depending on which... Uh, time zone you post that question in totally but, <laughs> we didn't give a lot of window of time either it was about an hour and a half or something too so but i think trump is universally hated so that's just my opinion but yeah that was pretty clear from the uh from the golden globe awards last night did you happen to watch that i did i thought that was uh, <laughs> a really impressive speech by oh meryl, meryl streep. streep yeah that was out of control i should back up and say i did not watch the golden globes i just watched twitter ah uh, yes and that's how I probably more entertaining <laughs> the highlights of the Golden Globes was through Twitter. So, yeah, nice. So I, I've been working on my list of best of the year and I know mm-hmm. that you have um, a best list of the year and oh, yeah. um, I realize I have about zero movies or music or anything <laughs> else. Mine's like all books, all books. Well, mine is almost the reverse of that. So I'll cover most of the non-literary areas and uh I'll, I'll make a few bookish comments but uh my year well at least the first half of my year was was all just buried in scholarship stuff uh with the thesis and the defense and and writing stuff for the uh for the conference and and rereading infinite jest for uh for infinite winter and stuff like that so i don't have a lot of like novels that i got to this year <laughs> but i've started to in the last few months so that's been quite refreshing good good yeah what, yeah. what was the date of your defense again so uh that was july 15th okay so that is Jeff about Seavers. half the year right mm. yeah 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 someone asked me um on email today if i felt relieved to be done the ma and i said yeah i it is relieving. I get to read books again, which is nice. But at the same time, I still get to read a lot of Wallace scholarship for the show, so I still feel plugged in to the academic side of things, too, which is good. I saw a funny tweet the other day that said, watching a TV episode all the way through without checking your phone now counts as reading a book. <laughs> yeah, I can I can relate to that. I try and I just multitask with that all the time. It's really bad um, how addicted. I mean, yeah, I'm addicted is. to my phone, and yeah. I'm still coping with that 
and I try <laughs> I try to go through phases where I don't look at it, but it's yeah. very tempting all the time. It is, yeah. There's something something very alluring about it uh, about that about that brick. Um, so how how is life for Matt Booker in 2016? Apart from like geopolitical, you know, nonsense. You know, for me personally, it was a very um, good year, a very strange year, mm-hmm. um, and that. I went through a couple of job changes, which right, yeah. I had, that had not happened to me in many years, and mm-hmm. uh, I ended up with a really great job. So I'm really happy with how the year ended for me. Yeah. And I had one month of the year, um, about most of July, where I didn't have a job, and right. it was fantastic. Because <laughs> I thought you were going to say super stressful. Uh, I mean, it, there's always stress, right? You can choose sure. that or not. But it was yeah. fantastic for me personally just to have a break from mm-hmm. just that mental space of rearranging your life. You know, after you do something yeah. every day for five, six, seven years, ten years, mm-hmm. and then just to sort of have a break from it mentally where you literally can't do it. Yeah, it's a cathartic purge. It was really – it was – you know, rearranged my mind in some ways, but I enjoyed that time um, because I love the summer. I'm very Mm -hmm. much a hot weather person living down here on this side of the concavity. Yeah. You live in the Um, right place then. (laughs) So I, I just went to the pool all the time and kind of lived in a swimsuit and it was fantastic. (laughs) So um, that, that was you know, I try not to look at, oh, because this celebrity died or, you yeah. know, this geopolitical events. Mm-hmm. For me personally, it was a good year. So I'm, yeah. I'm, I, That's good, I can't man. go, I can't call it a dumpster fire completely. <laughs> yeah. Wasn't that so like the, some linguistic society named that the word of the year? Dumpster fire. Yep. Dumpster fire. <laughs> I love that word. I think that's fantastic. How was your overall year in review? I mean, we've already mentioned the MA. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I was, I, was, I was thinking about this the other day that actually 2016 for me personally was a, was a great year. Um, so I don't know if I've mentioned this on the show yet, but Rachel, who was our, our guest a few episodes ago, who's my wife, is, uh, is currently with child. So that'll, that'll be our first, first human baby. Um, so she's just entered her third trimester as of like this week so coming up in april here there will be another another concavity baby do you do you uh, have the due date what's the due date april 9th april 9th april 9th and it's a girl it's a girl congrats we're we're pretty psyched you didn't know it was a girl ah i didn't tell you that i'm sorry i did not know that it's a it's a girl so we've been um we had we had a boy's name totally picked up ready to rock (laughs) and then we found out it was a girl and now it's been you know just toiling over a lot of lists and a lot of websites and we have very different parameters for what names we like so it's it's a bit of a it'll be interesting to see what we come up with but i'm sure it'll be it'll be okay Uh, (laughs) if you have any uh any names like if listeners have any cool girls names that are like you know not super popular because that's one of rachel's criteria it can't be in the top 100 yeah so if you have any cool names hit me up on twitter and uh, you can send some some possible suggestions. Maybe we'll do like a name contest later or something. See, in a month. Yeah, <laughs> I think it's a good idea. My firstborn, you know, he was also born in April, yep. and because I have such a weird last name, I kind of wanted him to have a normal first name, like somewhat <laughs> common first name. Um, yeah. But then with my second one, 
we were very much on board with that like do something a little different just like yeah yeah because there's this weird thing that happens where no matter how weird of a name you pick almost instantly you'll meet someone else with that name so like (laughs) (laughs) so like you could name your kid like butterfly trash can and someone else will be like oh there's another kid in our class named butterfly it's like what (laughs) i never heard that until today Uh Um, and i don't know if it's like confirmation bias or what but um, it, it totally will happen where you know, you'll name your kids something that you think is unique and there yeah. will be like a million other, not uh, a million, but it'll uh, come yeah. up. But. Yeah, that's good. So the, the day that Rachel told me that she was pregnant was, uh, was in late July when I was the first day of the Wallace conference in Illinois. So she'd been trying to get in touch with me all day, but I didn't have Wi-Fi. She told you over and the I phone? And I, well, not oh quite. I didn't have Wi-Fi and I didn't have data because like, Data roaming's expensive in the U.S. with a Canadian phone. So I got home to the house at night, and then my phone just blew up with all these texts and stuff. And then I texted her, and I was like, hey, I'm here. What's up? And called her, and then she uh, she texted me a picture of two positive oh pregnancy God. tests. <laughs> and then we talked on the phone, FaceTimed right after that. So that was, like, actually one of the best days, I think, of my <laughs> life in recent memory that I can remember. Because the first day of the conference was awesome. Like, I got to... I got to do a panel. I got to like lead a panel and then I gave my talk. So I was relieved that that was over and the day was just really fun and people were, it was great to talk to people and, you know, go up for drinks and stuff like that. And then I got this news when I got home and then I came out of the room and, you and just party, you know, Ro- Rob Short and like Ryan Marnane and a bunch of people were hanging out and I didn't tell any of them that night, but I kind of just like, I told a few of them over the weekend and then at Denny's on the last morning, I told everybody and it was, it was very celebratory. <laughs> so that was good. Oh man, that, that's awesome. And I, it, I yeah. can't wait until the conference this year, you know, I was not yeah. able to make it last year, but everyone who went just you know it was a highlight of their year so Mm -hmm. um you know if you're out there like go to the conference in illinois yes if you're interested in david foster wallace and scholarly studies related to him show up in illinois in june it's going to be a good time is it even if you're not presenting even if you're i mean i didn't present at my first wallace conference in paris a couple years ago i just went and i just soaked it in and and made friends and it was great is it May or June? It's in June. Okay. Yeah. I got I got to book that trip because it is uh, yeah. a highlight of the year, but <laughs> Yeah, that's a good one. All right. It's really good. Let's June um June 8th through 10th. All right. So Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Sold. Yeah. This year was also good. I finished my master's, so that was uh, you know a huge relief. Um we moved to a different city. That's been a big life change. Uh, we uh, we also got to announce a cool thing. I guess this is we announced in 2017. Can, can you stop right there? Let's go back to the <laughs> you moved to the new city, um, yeah. Victoria. You know, someone on Twitter also um, asked about. We had a back and forth with a couple of people about sports. Yes, and I wanted to stop you right there and say that. I thought today you and I both live in towns, Victoria and Austin, that have no professional sports teams. Yeah, there is not one here. No major sports teams, and so uh, <laughs> Austin is a more likely candidate, though, for a major sports team. Uh, Austin is. The, I mean, what's the population of Austin like? It is metro million? area is like two million. Yeah, it's the eleventh largest city in America, actually. Wow, that's so weird that you don't have one. Well, we kind of do with the college football, right? Okay. But yeah. 
I, I was going to quote something that I think I've quoted before, which is <laughs> one of my favorite lines from John Hodgman's book, The Area of My Expertise. Uh-huh. And he purport, if you haven't read it, he purports to create this book of complete world knowledge. Oh, yeah, okay. And at the beginning, he says, you know, you'll note that there are only two references to sports in the book. Right. And they're both <laughs> equally dismissive. Uh, and he says, if you would like more information about sports, I would direct you to every other aspect of our culture. Right. So, I remember you saying this on like a really early episode. Um, yeah, that's so good. <laughs> I, I could probably quote it from memory every day. Yeah, that, how, and, that and the uh, the shot glass with a dull yes. crayon. I'm like, <laughs> if, if you feel like you're coming to me for sports information, I will kindly redirect you to every other aspect <laughs> of our culture. I'm like, don't come to me for the football <laughs> tweets or yeah, yeah, that's good. Yeah, I mean, I'm not like a I'm not a major like huge Renaissance man sports kind of guy. Like, I like I like the Vancouver Canucks for NHL hockey, and I'd like you know keep an eye on the NHL. And then ATP Tennis, which is, you know, totally thanks to Wallace and uh, Infinite Jest and and the Roger Federer piece. Those two, after I read both of those, I was like, I'm going to start playing tennis. And shortly after I started watching tennis and now I'm pretty hooked. So that's been about for the last eight years. I've been pretty, pretty into, you know, professional tennis. Well, I was a big baseball guy for a long time, and mm-hmm. I still follow baseball, but mostly just to keep up with my fantasy leagues. Oh, um, yeah, you're in some of those? Cool. And I I was in one fantasy baseball league for like 10 years, mm-hmm. um, and I really like... I've been in the same one uh, here in Austin for five or six, seven years. And, oh, cool. And I really like it just because of the sense of community. Totally. Which forces me then to like kind of keep up with the sport like yeah yeah um i'm also i was also kind of into english premier league soccer for a long time oh yeah. so i could talk about um my favorite team i'm a supporter of everton so i I could i get the everton app and like i get some news about everton (laughs) but i'm like the the level of like everton fandom I'm probably like near the very bottom of like people who haven't heard it's like they're pretty pretty nutty about it right oh yeah i mean it's like that's like saying this you know it's like public hysteria the pope is kind of into religion like (laughs) yeah yeah um i mean there's like a level of people like who haven't heard of sports and then people who haven't heard of soccer people who haven't Mm -hmm. heard of everton and then like i'm like slightly above that (laughs) and you know then there's people with like facial tattoos uh-huh. Uh, sure, yeah. Who, of the of the team. Right. Yeah. So we gotta get I into the list, man. I'm just like I could go right, on and on. So let's, let's you're not gonna well, hear was, any you're not gonna hear any sports books. I have no recommendations on that. Yeah, okay. Well I was about to mention before we got onto the sports topic, uh, of a cool announcement that we just got to make this week actually. And most of the legwork for this happened in two thousand sixteen and it was pretty much ready to rock and then we you know, put it out on was it the, January the first 2nd. or the second. That there now exists with the president being yourself of this organization, the international David Foster Wallace Literary Society. Boom. It's true. Boom. There is a, you can go <laughs> check out the website, dfwsociety.org. Yep. And um, this is something that's been in the works for a long time. Mm-hmm. And it's something that I have dreamed about for a long time. And the time of it has never really been right. Mm-hmm. Um, it's been difficult to 
sort of visualize what that should look like, but I think now we have the right team and the right people in place to make it happen. And we have had just a tremendous response. We have. It's been wild. I've been very happy with the response. And it's been very (laughs) confirming to me that this was the right thing to do. Yeah. Um, So we're starting a journal that goes with that. And we're going to do the Mm -hmm. journal right. It's going to be independently run. But it's going to be peer-reviewed. Double blind. Double blind reviews. And it's going to be open access. Mm -hmm. And it's going to be professionally printed and designed. It's going to be very nice. Yeah. Um, piece of scholarship that we're going to do as really our main product, mm-hmm. but we have a lot of other um, pieces Ideas. of it planned. Yeah, yeah. So fun surprises. I mean, this community sort of already existed. You know, we've had yeah. three different conferences um, just in Illinois, and mm-hmm. then there's been many other conferences. Lots and lots of others. Yeah. Yeah, and you know, New York and Liverpool and Paris. One mm-hmm. coming up in Australia. Yeah, um, oh, so to go to that, hey, what a dream! Just cross my fingers, you know. I don't know. I, it's hard. For, it's hard for me to imagine September right now, but it's possible. It's very possible. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's a bit of a trek for us, but though, man, those guys are committed to coming up here. That's for sure. Well, and that's, I'm always so impressed by the Australian Wallace community. They all, they've all been to the U.S. Yeah. So, like anyone who I know in the Wallace community, almost. They've all been to the U.S., so mm. I got to hand it to them. Oh, yeah. Uh, Big ups. Um, but I, I think that's why also I wanted to make sure that word international was in there. And Definitely. that already we've had people from nine or ten different countries join. And, you know, we have people in leadership positions from Ireland, from Canada, from the U.S., from the U.K., Australia, uh, members from, you know, all over the world. So mm. I, I want that piece of it I want everyone to feel welcome yeah and included definitely totally Um, so you'll hear a lot more about the DFW society yes um, in general but probably just because you and I are so involved in it Mm -hmm. uh, it, I think there's going to be a lot of overlap between this podcast and the literary society and the last thing I'll say about it is that um, people who are not familiar with literary societies might think this is not like it's too soon for Wallace and right. Like he's not Canon yet or something. And I, you know, my response to that, yeah, I guess. But I mean, if you look at all the other literary societies that exist out there, Mm -hmm. I think it fits very much in line and makes sense. Um, Mm -hmm. Partly because he has a literary archive at the ransom center. Yeah. He's had panels about him at ALA at MLA. MLA just recently this week, just recently this week. So, I mean, multiple um, pieces of the puzzle are, already there and that's mm-hmm. usually what happens with literary societies for single authors and yeah. you know I, I'm a member of a couple of other ones and so I'm yeah familiar. I just joined the Don DeLillo Society the day after this one came out because I was like oh I wonder if there's a DeLillo Society and searched it and yep there is and then I joined it yeah and I <laughs> yeah. encourage other people to do that like I'm a big uh, Vladimir Nabokov fan and yeah, so yeah. there's a big international Nabokov Society mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. there's a John is there a Bolaño Society not not in the U.S. I mean not in, yet I don't think there is in, at least not in English language hmm. Hmm. Um, but hey maybe we'll start that too who knows um, <laughs> there you go um, but as if you don't have enough on your plate <laughs> right but there, there is um, one for John Updike so I was a big Updike yeah, right. uh, reader writer and um, totally did some research on, on some of his papers and so 
Updike, you know, died after Wallace, um, mm. and his society runs pretty smoothly. And they've just recently purchased like John Updike's childhood home, so mm. they, they are like wow, doing stuff like time. that. Yeah, like making oh, a museum wow. and stuff. Yeah, crazy. That's cool. So, so yeah, you can go check out the website, uh, which was you know put together by our friend Rob Short, who's been a guest on the show several times. It's pretty slick. Nice job, Rob. And there's pictures of all the people who are sort of on the the steering committee, I guess you could say. No, it's the um, board of directors. That's the other thing I say is that yep. we're all volunteers, but we are setting it up to be a nonprofit organization. Mm-hmm. So we have a board of directors for the nonprofit and the people who are on there are there's some overlap, but separate from the journal has its own editorial board. Yes. Right. Yeah. And a lot of these people are familiar faces from, from the show. Probably I, looking at them, I think two people we haven't had on the show. So look out for them in the future, hopefully. <laughs> well, and we like I say, even if you don't have a leadership position right now, you can submit to the journal. You can do something to be involved, become a member, become a patron. Um, totally. And, you know, we're just in the early stages of this. We just launched it a week ago. And yeah. We're, we've got a lot more plans and, and to build out the community is sort of our goal for 20, mm-hmm. 2017. Definitely. So, okay. But 2016, some cool books came out or you read some cool books and I read some cool books. What are, what are some of your highlights, Matt? Did you, did you do a count of how many books you read this year? I think last year it was like 70 something. If I don't, yeah. Where to begin? I'm not mistaken. I I, I (laughs) I didn't keep a, um, a tally this year, but I mean, it was at least 40 to 50. Um, and uh, yeah, where to begin. Mm -hmm. And so I'm going to start out with, um, I've mentioned on the show before, one of my literary heroes is Maggie Nelson. Yeah, yeah. And her book, The Argonauts, I think it came out in 2015, but I, mm-hmm. I, I, but you read it, this I year. read it in 2016. Nice. And um, it was a huge year for her, too, in that she won the MacArthur Genius Grant. Oh, yeah. Uh, you cool. know, which Wallace also won. Mm-hmm. Um, so she got a lot of attention this year. And the other big event for me every year is the texas book festival and so i was on a panel this year with um angela flournoy who was a finalist for the national book award 2015 Mm -hmm. and her book the turner house just came out in paperback and i really enjoyed that and also on that panel was um chigozi obioma who -hmm. was a finalist for the booker prize Oh, yeah. And his book, The Fisherman, I would recommend. It's set in Africa, and it's about these young boys. Um, also on that panel was a guy named Derek Palacio. From uh, uh, His book is called uh, The Mortifications, and it's, about, it's hmm. kind of about Cuban immigrants. And um, I would recommend all of those books. So I want to start oh, with that's that. That's cool. Well, and the other thing I'll say is I, you know, I have a lot of books to recommend that are not necessarily for like, if you like infinite jest, you will like this. Mm-hmm. Like I have a lot of stuff that is just not wildly dissimilar. Yeah. It's totally yeah, dissimilar. Um, yeah, and yeah. I mean, Maggie Nelson fits into that category. I think she's smart, but mm-hmm. I don't think she has anything else in common with hmm. anyone else I read. Right. Yeah. Um, 
So the other one, so at the Texas Book Festival, I also met a ton of other writers I respect, and mm-hmm. I was like, super happy to meet. One is um, Chloe Caldwell, mm-hmm. and she had her first book was called Legs Get Led Astray. She had a book called Women. Her new book is called I'll Tell You in Person, mm-hmm. and it's a book of essays. It's super confessional, and it's just oh, yeah, re- cool. really compelling reading. Um, mm-hmm. And I really like her style. There's a essay in there that's kind of a like veiled story about Lena Dunham. Oh, um, yeah. But it's very easy to tell it's about Lena Dunham. She never says Lena Dunham, but... Oh, yeah. Um, well, the cat's out of the bag now. You heard it here. Cat's out of the bag. And that's published by um, Emily Books. And I've, oh, yeah. I've been a big supporter of Emily Books since they started their ebook store and yeah. bought books from them, subscribed, and have... Um, just really liked their transition now into print with their first book was uh, Chloe Caldwell I haven't read their second book which was Jade Sharma's Problems so that's on my 2017 list Hmm. do you see today that Lena Dunham and Mary Carr have an interview coming out soon no I did not see that yeah we'll have to link to that they look like they're pals they're like eating Oreos and hugging That's in the picture. interesting. <laughs> well, you know, Lena Dunham's yeah. also pals with my older brother, John, in, s- oh, yeah. in some way. Like, John cool. met her very earlier in her career. It's kind of yeah. a long story, but... Um, yeah. Well, I really like the show Girls, and I'll talk about oh, that a bit man. later. I mean, any show that has, like, the Iowa Writers Workshop is, like, a major <laughs> plot point. Yeah. Uh, it's pretty literary. It's pretty interesting. No, it's a great yeah. show. <laughs> yeah. Um, another one of my favorite books this year was... I think it has a January pub date, but I read it months ago, and mm-hmm. it's called Always Happy Hour by Mary Miller, oh, yeah. and it's a collection of short stories, and I highly, highly recommend it. Oh, cool. And it some of the stories are set in Austin, like she used to live in Austin. I, mm-hmm. um, her first book I really liked also called The Last Days of California, which is about a road mm-hmm. trip, and it's kind of got some... Uh, just kind of desperate characters in it that I really hmm. uh, found just super compelling, and I really liked hmm. that book. Um, Did you say desperate or disparate? I was going to say desperate. Desperate. <laughs> yeah, yeah, cool. <laughs> Not disparate. Desperate. Yeah, yeah. Um, nice. Maybe they are disparate, but uh, there, I think there's a hmm. lot of similarities between some of the stories, but in a way that is good. Yeah. It is good. You know, yeah. sometimes you read a book of short stories and. You know, you want more like the one you just finished, and now you're reading something about like kind of like a mystery, and you're like, "What?" Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And then also at the at the Texas Book Festival, you got to talk to Don DeLillo a little bit. I got to meet Don DeLillo. Meet Don um, DeLillo briefly. That's, that's pretty good. That, so that's your second encounter with him now. Second time I've got to meet Don <laughs> DeLillo, but uh, I, you know, just totally clam up in his presence and um, oh, uh, that seems about right I'm sure I would too but I, I you know who else I did meet there who I did not clam up around is a trio of Latin American writers who mm. was huge huge deal for me um, pray tell uh, well, one is Andre Newman and okay. he has a new book called How to Travel Without Seeing hmm. and it's a book of essays about his travels through Latin America and it's a really Hmm. unique sort of travel guide and diary Um, and he is famous in Latin America for being um, kind of praised by Bolaño 
so I got to talk Bologna with him for a while, Mm -hmm. uh, which was amazing. And he was there with Carlos Fonseca, who has a new book called uh, Colonel Lagrimas. Mm -hmm. And I would recommend that book highly. Uh, Someone recommended it to me as having some kind of Wallace influence. Mm -hmm. And at first I couldn't see it, right? It starts out about this aging general or colonel who is penning his memoirs very carefully and it reminded me more of Nabokov Mm -hmm. than Wallace but then later on you start seeing the structure of the thing um and I, I, I don't want to spoil it, but I would say it's a fantastic <laughs> book uh, by Carlos Fonseca. And the other one who is there is a guy named Eduardo Rabasa. Mm-hmm. And he has a new book called Zero Sum Game. Oh, yeah. And he is the founder of a publishing company in Mexico called uh, Sexto Piso. Hmm. And he's really famous for that but this is his first book so I was super excited to read it oh cool and um, I highly recommend that it's kind of a alternate reality dystopian um, Mm, I like those uh, yeah and it's really it's like set in this housing complex outside of a massive unnamed city probably Mm -hmm. Mexico City Um, and it's kind of about politics but all through like an allegory it's really Mm. it's really interesting book um, awesome. And I'm going to say one other like Latin American book I read this year that I really liked, and then I'm going to take a breath and let you talk. Um, <laughs> I read a book called Among Strange Victims by Daniel Saldana Paris, hmm. and the first part of it is about a guy just kind of wandering around Mexico yep. City. And if you know me, I love a novel where it's like, this just a guy kind of wandering around. Oh my gosh, City of Glass by Paul Auster. That's that's one. I mean, that is um, probably my favorite one I can think of that hits that. Ben Lerner <laughs> leaving the Atocha station. I mean, I have a bunch of these. Oh, I just uh, bought a Ben Lerner book the other day. 1004. I haven't read it yet. Yeah, 1004. 10 I've heard good things about 10 it. 1004 is good and it has some of that stuff in it where oh, yeah. he's just wandering around. The flaneur kind of yeah, motif. Yeah, flaneur and there's some mm-hmm. of that novel where he is um just kind of hanging out in Marfa mm-hmm. in Marfa, Texas and th- I think that might be like the great Marfa novel oh yeah <laughs> even though only part of it is set in Marfa uh-huh. but I, are there many many Martha novels? M- Marfa, Marfa, Texas you don't know Marfa, Texas? Yeah. All right. uh, not, All right. not too well, no alright, so go research Marfa, Texas this is the home of Donald <laughs> Judd and uh We'll talk more about Marfa, but okay, it's all right. It's so Wallace was there in 2000, and oh, okay. the Lannan Foundation has a fellowship you can win where you go mm-hmm. there and just live in this house and write in the, oh, nice. the Trans Pecos area. Um, hmm. And Wallace was there in 2000 at the same time as a writer named Sean Willens. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyways, cool. Ben Lerner got that same foundation grant and oh nice and lived in the house and wrote part of 1004 mm-hmm. there oh cool right on so anyways you, you should talk about music or movies or something else for a minute yeah okay well I got a few books too I guess we could check them off the list do it one one by one I finished a book actually just today by a Mexican writer Yuri Herrera 
Signs Preceding the End of the World. Yeah, I, I love that book. I have it. Yeah, it was great. I really enjoyed it. It's really short. It's like 117 pages. Really quick read. I read it in a few days, but it's it was, yeah, the prose is really lovely. and, and His style is pretty dramatic, right? Like Yeah, it is. It, remi- it reminded me a fair bit of like Cormac McCarthy in some ways, where it's kind of kind of sparse. Yes. Um, but it has kind of a vernacular sort of vibe to it. Um, yes. That was quite nice. I like that. Mm-hmm. One of my, I think one of my um, thesis supervisors teaches that in his first year readings and narrative class. And a friend of mine who's just going back to school now just read it, and I like proofread one of his papers for him. But I hadn't read the book yet, so it intrigued me. And Rachel also read that book earlier this year and said it was great. So that was a good one I read in the last year, since I guess since our last <laughs> best of the year episodes. Um, probably my favorite book this year that I read, which I just finished recently, was Zero K by Don DeLillo. Don DeLillo, yeah. Yeah, I think think it is probably his strongest book, I would say, in quite a while. Um, So if I were to rank my favorite Don DeLillo books, they would go White Noise, Underworld, Libra, Mao 2, and then I might say Zero K would be the next one. So Hmm. I don't know. What were your your thoughts on Zero K? You read uh, that, too? I really liked um, Zero K. I thought it was an interesting concept you know the premise of it yeah uh, mm-hmm. about cryonics and it's sort yeah. of like cryogenic once, freezing yeah and it's like once that technology becomes you know even people think it's feasible you yeah. know would you be willing to basically murder someone to save yeah. their life long term like it's an interesting right. philosophical <laughs> like voluntarily problem. end your life now yeah it's it's quite a really yeah it's it's like got a lot of esoteric philosophy in it like you know the two like uh scandinavian brothers who are characters who just like theorize about these kinds of futures and no one does that kind of writing better than don delillo right so i found some really great there were some really great passages in that book yeah and you can tell he enjoyed writing it which i like books like that uh Mm -hmm. but i liked his book the angel esmeralda too the book of short stories stories. yeah that's fantastic too there's some there's some short stories in there i think that are some of his best so Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. absolutely um i just wrapped uh here i am by jonathan safran foer fairly recently as well did you get a chance to read that this year haven't touched are you a foer guy no it's pretty it's pretty big it's like uh almost 600 pages yeah man i've tried to read a few of his books and i just (laughs) like you know it's just not for me man yeah yeah i've heard a lot of uh a lot of the people from the wallace community say that and i think i read extremely loud and incredibly close in 2006 so before i read infinite jest and i really liked it at the time and everything's illuminated as well i think now maybe a decade later i've probably a little less inclined to to be super hyped on him i thought this book was ah, it's about a family like a jewish family living in dc and then there's some some events that are kind of peripheral to the main story of the book but they there's some stuff that happens in israel uh relating to like a cataclysmic event of some kind i won't spoil exactly what but i found like the geopolitical theorizing the most interesting part of the book and le- it was less interesting for me to read about like the intricacies of this family's daily life together and the relational stuff going on. And because we've lived in Tel Aviv a couple years ago for six months, I found like a lot of the, the place location references were places I've been to. And so I could really like walk through this, those parts of the book in mm. a personal way. Um, I don't know if I'd like wildly recommend it. It's, 
but it's definitely more mature than his than the other two books by him that I mentioned. Like there's, it's a lot grittier. It's more adult. Um, but I mean, he does capture some some nice moments for sure. So well, that reminds me that I did read a Dave Eggers book this year, the new one, Heroes of the Frontier. Um, oh yeah, which I was excited to get because I like the mm-hmm. idea of it about going to mm-hmm. Alaska and, oh, yeah. and I just got really bored with it like oh, yeah. I was like <laughs> oh, I felt like a slog just because like I didn't give a crap and I felt like I wasn't going anywhere and yeah. um, huh. I, so I wouldn't recommend it per, yeah. per se but like I liked Eggers other recent stuff like The Circle yeah. and the Circle. Hologram for the King I liked those books right. but the Heroes of the Frontier man like I just not, not your scene. It was good, but I was just bored. <laughs> After a while, I was like, "All right, man, you right. got to do huh. something." Like, I like movies. I like books where you're just wandering around. But like, <laughs> even I eventually get tired of it. Like, if wandering if, with a purpose well, if is necessary at some point. Well, if I don't care about the people or I don't trust the yeah. author or something, like, it's mm-hmm. really hard to manufacture uh, uh, something beyond that. Like, you you have to do yeah. something with it. But yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, speaking of like cryogenic freezing as a, as a theme or, or like consciousness archiving as a theme, uh, I read another book this year by Chris Adrian, who's one of my favorite writers. Oh, right. Yeah. Him and Eli Horowitz co-wrote a, a really small book. It's kind of like a novella. It's called the new world and actually is very similar to zero K in terms of like setting and theme and, and things like that. So, so pretty cool as well. And then I just reread infinite jest for for my thesis for infinite winter i i almost finished rereading the pale king which i mentioned last time, last episode but then forgot it in my oh, hotel room yeah, yeah, yeah. too bad um and this is like a, a funny aside but the the company that publishes netrunner which i've talked about on the show this, this game that i'm obsessed with right they published three novellas this year all about like um you know a singular character from the from the game universe it's called the android universe and it's not specific just to netrunner there's other like board games and and things set in this universe but um a a video game critic cultural critic named lee alexander wrote one of these books called monitor and i really like that book this year too oh interesting it's a it's about like one of the corporations is like a surveillance entertainment giant and so like it's in some ways there's a lot of parallels to like big brother so it's about this one character like trying to navigate this like hyper saturated surveillance media state um and like you know trying to give something of an fu to this corporation called nbn (laughs) so again dystopia it's 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 good stuff and you did go to worlds right you want to mention yeah i went i went to minnesota where that's where i forgot the pale king so hopefully some some lucky hotel staffer ended up with it and it's got your pale king bookmark in it too no, uh, so it's real real thematic i'll send you another one <laughs> mm-hmm. i actually um i have some friends in Kelowna, which is where i used to live who mm-hmm. have a board game podcast and they've had me on twice and i went on recently uh to talk about my experience going to minnesota to play at world so uh we can link to that in the show i think i tweeted it a bit a, a couple weeks ago from our concavity uh twitter um, it's called Boards Alive, and I just talk about being a huge nerd, essentially, going to this thing. It was fun. Yeah, we'll, that was definitely a year highlight, for sure. We'll, we'll send that link out from our Twitter account yeah, as yeah. well. Sure, um, if, if that's something that interests you. 
but you going back to what you're saying about Chris Adrian being one of your favorite authors um, yeah. that reminds me that two of my favorite authors had new books in 2016 oh, yeah. um, and that was Nicholson Baker who had mm-hmm, a, mm-hmm. a book called Substitute which is a nonfiction book about him being a substitute teacher yep. for a year in Maine and mm-hmm. it, I read the whole thing. It's like 800 pages. And it's ba- oh, wow. it's basically just like transcripts of his day of like what he <laughs> did every day. And uh-huh. if you actually break it down and see what goes on in a classroom every day, you realize how kind of ad hoc instruction can be and how, totally. and how little learning can get done in a day. Yeah. And it's really good just sort of documentary of like the snapshot of this time and day in hmm. education. But the other cool, cool thing that happened with that is that he, uh, Nicholson Baker joined Twitter this mm-hmm. year. Oh yeah. And I remember you being super <clears throat> hyped about that. I mean, yeah, it's it's really him. And like uh-huh. I tweeted at him a few times and he replied and I was oh, like, cool. you know, what a time to be alive where you can just, tweet at your yeah. favorite author and like know they're going to read it and mm-hmm. respond. It was, that was, yeah, that was cool. Yeah. It's pretty amazing. Uh, speaking of that, we, I've been, I tweeted at Bill Gates a couple times recently from our account because he published a list of his top five favorite books of the year and string theory by Wallace yeah. was, uh, was on there. And yet there's a whole thing on his blog about David Foster Wallace and string theory. So if we can somehow get Bill Gates on the show, that would be pretty sweet. Yeah. Um, I, he probably has a robot reading his tweets oh, yeah. or something. I'm like, sure. Yeah. Um, we'll have to avoid telling him that we're like Apple product users. <laughs> I mean, I, I think it's very possible that Gates could become more involved in the Wallace yeah. world yeah, in some way. But I also think it's very likely that he will have a new favorite thing five minutes from now. Um, so my other favorite writer who had a new book out was Carl Ove Knausgaard. Oh yes, and volume you love this man. Volume five came out in mm-hmm. April, and volume six. Volume six is out too, right? Volume, yeah. Well, it's going to come out in April of 2017. Oh, okay, okay. So volume four came out in paperback, and then volume five mm-hmm. comes out in paperback this year. Um, mm-hmm. And I just absolutely love these books on a very personal yeah, level. I, I got to get on this. <clears throat> Um, there's a kind of a emerging consensus that book two is the best, mm. but I really like all of them and mm-hmm. I wouldn't skip a one of them. Yeah. Um, so I, I can't let a year go by at least after 2017 of saying canal guards name. Cause it's <laughs> huge. Yeah. yeah. Very cool. All right. What else did you have on your list, Dave? Uh, that's about it for books. Uh, like I said, most of it was, you know, scholarship and, I mean, the cool thing about being done your master's, but still, you know, in the Wallace community is there's so many monographs coming out now. Claire Hayes Brady, David Herring, um, Lucas Thompson soon, and many others. Jeff Seavers. You, you can, Jeff Seavers, yeah, oh, mm. that's going to be great. That we can, that I still feel plugged into that, to the academic side of, of things. Um, yeah. So it almost still feels like I'm still in my master's because of that. Um, so that's pretty nice. I like that. But I don't have the, like, you know, excruciating pressure of finishing my thesis by a certain date. So it's it's relief. Cool. Well, let's get into the All music the or down. movies. What else do you got, man? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, okay. M- music. Um, I, every year since, I think, 2007, I make a list of my favorite, you know, top 10, top 20 albums of the year, and I put it on Facebook. And uh, the fact that 
that now Twitter is something that I use more because of the show means that we get to, uh, we'll tweet out, you know, or we'll add to the show notes, uh, our, the great concavities favorite songs of the year, which is sort of, uh, you and I sort of, uh, what's the word? Collaborate. Collated, collaborated, uh, together on a little bit. (laughs) One thing. And it's like, it's Dave's list otherwise. (laughs) All right, cool. But so you get a, you get a bonus, uh, playlist with this episode. We did this last year too, I think. Um, but, um, I guess in no particular ish order because it's, I mean, it's in some ways it's really hard to rank. Yeah. You know, the like spot six and seven particularly are like, are pretty challenging, but I would say probably my favorite album this year was by a band called Whitney. The album's called light upon the lake. And they were previously, um, a band called Smith Westerns and they, that band broke up a couple years ago and Mm -hmm. then they, they formed this new band this year and pitchfork always publishes their, you know, top 50 albums of the year. And this album was on there and, uh, they were a big hit with like the reader poll that pitchfork does. So a lot of people said that Whitney was like their favorite new band of the year and that kind of thing. So I kind of describe them as like, they sound a lot like the Velvet Underground in some ways, like a lot of similar kind of like guitar tones and guitar riffs. So that was like my first immediate sort of impression of them was was that kind of Velvet Underground kind of vibe. Okay. Which is good. Um, a band called Big Thief came out this year, brand new band with an album called Masterpiece, which is... I mean, pretty hilarious title on some levels. It's it could be seen as audacious to call your 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 you know first album masterpiece, um, but I think it is a pretty pretty strong album. Maybe not quite a masterpiece, but it's pretty solid. Um, they're sort of a, a straight up rock band, I would say, with a female vocalist. Really nice stuff. Uh, you've probably heard of Bonnie Vare, Matt. Yes. I like how him. can you not, how can you not I like <laughs> at this him. point yeah I'm a, I'm a I, I really like yeah I like that album a lot this year 22 a million it's got like the weirdest uh, song titles of all time it's just like weird symbols and it's almost like like following after Prince or something in that way perhaps a um, lot of like auto-tune kind of stuff going on with that just weird a lot of <laughs> saying to Rachel today like a lot of like Alvin and the Chipmunks kind of vocal effects <laughs> which is maybe not like a flattering way to put it, but (laughs) that's what it reminds me of. But it it works, man, it works. Um, Hamilton Leithauser, who is from the band The Walkman, came out with a a collaborative album this year with um, one of the guys from Vampire Weekend. And the album's called I Had a Dream That You Were Mine. And that's a nice album. And you and I have, have texted about some of the songs on that that are strong yeah i like i like it uh radiohead yeah yeah it's nice radiohead came out with an album this year they're i would have to say my favorite band of all time someone you know posed that question yeah yeah i've uh i've been a big a big fan for a long time seen them live a few times and their album this year moonshaped pool was pretty good wasn't uh wasn't kid a or it wasn't um you know okay computer but it was still pretty solid and uh have you spent any time with that matt uh a, a little bit i mean my yeah. attitude towards radiohead is like i like them and i feel like it's mm. like my vegetables like people are like you should really eat this man it's good for you <laughs> like you should really listen to this and so yeah. i mean if i have a choice between like 
you know, 10 records and uh-huh. I, I know nine of them are crap and one is Radiohead. Uh-huh. I'm like, oh man, this radio looks great. Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, I, I'm just not <laughs> like a, I don't appreciate them, I guess, as much as they should be or something. Right, but, yeah. yeah. Um, You're a soft fan. I'm a soft fan. I'm like, yeah, that's cool. I'm with that like 99% of music in general. Yeah. So. <laughs> Paul Thomas Anderson directed uh, one of their one of their music videos from this album from a song called Daydreaming. Pretty pretty nice video. Did you did you see it around? I yeah. Uh, Tommy I did Orc see is like it. walking through all these different doors into different rooms, but they're all totally unrelated. I just it's wasn't blown like, away with it, man. And I yeah, I wasn't yeah. that blown away with Inherent Vice either. You know, he didn't pension Inherent agree. Vice. Yeah, I. Yeah, I re- actually, I think I read Inherent Vice in the last year as well, and the book didn't didn't really grab me, and the and the film I was really excited for because I I love P. T. Anderson, but same kind of experience as the book. I was like, ah, it's felt a bit flat overall. It's kind of boring, man. And it's like, yeah. yeah, I I don't know. My my love for P. T. Anderson is waning a little bit. Yeah, well, I did hear that uh, that he's working on a film with Daniel Day Lewis right now, so maybe that could resurrect your interest. Because I, I mean, there I mean, will be blood. Is right? yeah. yeah, yeah. I think there will be blood is one of my one of my favorite movies ever. So if they yeah. can if they can you know recreate some of that magic. That'd be a good thing. Yeah. Uh, Angel Olsen came out with an album called My Woman solid rock album it's got kind of like a old-timey country feel in terms of her vocals Hmm. um cool stuff parquet courts of course uh we got to talk to andrew savage last episode their album human performance is is knockout from this from this year and man that was that was really fun hanging out talking with him that was good we've had a lot of really positive feedback from uh from you listeners about that one so that was cool he mentioned uh, to us that one of his favorite albums this year was by Kate LeBond. Yes. And I'd never heard of Kate LeBond, so I looked her up and I really like the album that he recommended, Crab Day, from this year. That's that's on my top ten list. It's snuck in sort of right at the last minute. And then also she has an album from 2013 called Mug Museum. And it is like it is f- my friend the other day described it as flawless. Hmm. And I tend to agree it's really strong. Um Crab Day is a little bit like kooky, I would I would mm-hmm. say. Like it's pretty like it's pretty um it's a bit wacky, a bit weird. Mug Museum is a bit more standard sort of straightforward listening experience and just some of the songs on there are just are just super rad. She's playing in Vancouver on January 16th and I think I might might be in that neighborhood for that. So Kate Lebon is is going to be on my list to see. Uh, two more. Car Seat Headrest is a band that also put out an album last year that was also in my top ten. And Josh Royland put me onto this band. So, Josh, thanks for that. Um, Josh has been on the show before. And their album this year was called Teens of Denial. Last year it was called Teens of Style. So we have <laughs> some kind of fascination with, with teenagers. I'm not sure what that's about. But it's just a pretty solid rock album. And then there's a band from philadelphia called sheer mag and they're like a garage rock kind of band kind of punk they put out a four song ep this year called three last year they put out a four song ep called two and the previous year they put out a four song ep called can you guess it matt santa maria (laughs) 
<laughs> so they got one, two, and three. And five, the third EP was awesome <laughs> this year. But it's hard to put an EP, like a four-song EP on your top ten list because, you know, there's a lot of other, like, full albums. But this, this band is just amazing. And a magical thing happened in December where they put out a 12-inch LP that has all three of the EPs on it. Oh, cool. So you got one, two, and three all back-to-back. And my friend and I had just been, like, dreaming about how rad it would be if they did that a few months ago. Like, please, oh, please let them do that. And they did, and so that was, like, right in time for Christmas. So Sheer Mag, check them out. They're not on Apple Music, though, so it's, like, you got to listen to them on their Bandcamp. Mm-hmm which I did for like, you know, seven months just listening off their band camp. But now they produced a record, so that's good stuff. <laughs> wow, that's cool. So there's the top ten for, for music and then a few other good albums too, but we'll uh, we'll share that playlist with you guys and you can check out uh, check out what we dug. Oh, I should also mention two more things, music. So sometimes you discover music that you didn't know existed and sometimes it's from a long time ago and you're like how did I not know this was a thing? Yeah. So have you ever heard the song by Harry Nilsson, Many Rivers to Cross? No. <laughs> Harry Nilsson was like a singer from the 60s and 70s. And he, this particular song is from an album called Pussycats, which was produced by John Lennon. And it's the first track on the album. And I heard it on a TV show called uh, Rectify. And I just have listened to it so many times in like the last six weeks. It is phenomenal. So check out that track. It's on YouTube or wherever. And also I'll say if I had to, if my favorite album of the year, but it wasn't from this year is by a band called Marine Dreams. They're a Canadian band from Toronto. Came out in 2011 and it's self-titled. And there's also a song called Marine Dreams on it. So they just really milk that theme. Wow. It's fantastic check that out as well i usually do go back and look up the stuff that you recommend and i I usually do like most of it (laughs) most Um, of it (laughs) so i mean like kate lamon you and i you mentioned her i mean after Mm -hmm. andrew savage mentioned her yeah yeah um and i i went and looked her up on youtube and i was watching Mm -hmm. some of her videos and i was like yeah this this actually is kind of up my alley so yeah yeah that this kind of stuff is good for me because I'll, I'll go back to this podcast later and yeah and actually look some of this stuff up and i'll put it in the show notes too so people can read yeah it, totally cool i'll do that with your book recommendations i, I as have well. more books too <laughs> by the way i'm just letting you go go through the movies or whatever like oh yeah i, nice. I only went to the movies like twice in <laughs> 2016 and yeah. i think it was both children's movies that i took my kids right. to yeah um i think i think movies for me there wasn't a lot of there weren't a lot of films this year that i was like really really psyched on um and stuff in the theaters like not a lot of stuff really grabbed me this year uh i will say though i really like the arrival which is um like a movie about so the premise is like in the first five minutes you learn that that like alien spaceships have come down and there's this this linguist played by amy adams who's kind of like is the US government is like, hey, we want you to like interface with these aliens and try and create some kind of like universal way to communicate with them. Uh, so I found that movie pretty compelling. Yeah, I was just at the Linguist Society of America conference. Right, yeah, yeah. Uh, and no, I was not there, but the, it was it was in Austin, and um, yeah. our buddy Chris Ayers from a previous episode was there. Yeah, 
and they were going to see Arrival again oh, in yeah, Austin yeah. just a couple days ago. I bet the linguists ago. just eat that film up. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I mean, they, I'm pretty sure they already have multiple papers written about it. And, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, that's pretty cool. I liked it. But I saw um, Zootopia. Oh which yeah, which is an animated feature, um, right? I haven't seen that. No, I was a. Ju- I don't want to talk about Zootopia. Do <laughs> All right, cool. Did you see The Lobster this year? I'd say that's another film that was I pretty did not, strong. you know, and really all I'll say about movies before I get back to books for a couple of minutes is that mm-hmm. I really like, um, Werner Herzog movies. Yeah. Yeah. And he absolutely had a new one come out on Netflix is about mm-hmm. volcanoes. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, I haven't seen that yet. It's really good. And mm-hmm. I really like it. Um, I also found out that he kind of does a cameo in the penguins of Madagascar. Oh yeah. So if you've never seen the Penguins of Madagascar animated feature, I, rec- I have not. I recommend it. Like <laughs> I'm sort of a connoisseur of every known animated film because children's movie. <laughs> I have two small kids and I've seen like uh-huh. everything at the library. Uh-huh. And oh, yeah. Penguins of Madagascar, I would actually watch again. It is good. Oh, red. So that's good. It has Werner Herzog in it, for God's sakes. That's amazing. He does one of the voices of a penguin or something. No, he does. A, he's like a documentary filmmaker in it. Oh, okay. <laughs> that's um, awesome. <laughs> but uh, also, you know, what's funny is our friend um, Robin O'Neill recently mm-hmm. on her podcast, she had this mention of one of my all-time favorite movies, which is American Movie. American Movie. Oh yeah. And I could rewatch that movie over and over. And it's like comfort food to me. Like I go and yeah. I go and watch Werner Herzog. By the mm-hmm. way, my favorite Herzog movie is Happy People. So mm, if you have, if you one. have not seen Happy People, it's on Netflix. Go watch mm. it. And I watch that movie all the time. Um, mm-hmm. But American Movie is another one that I just return to over and over. So I was so happy to see oh, cool. to see Robin like quote. Yeah, from she's it. she's like way into that. It's her favorite movie of all time. I think she said. Yeah, I, I love it as well. I've never seen it, but after I listened to that, it was like a few nights ago, I went on YouTube and I like watched as much stuff about it as I could. And yeah, it looks pretty great. I, I really want to see it now. I mean, this guy, yeah. Mark Borchart, I find is a total inspiration to me. Yeah, yeah. And he seems amazing. He's just so dedicated to his vision, his like artistic vision. And I mm-hmm. love stuff like that. Love it. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. Hmm. Um, one movie that, that I was really excited for this year was the David Brent Life on the Road movie. Do you remember the BBC oh, Office? Yeah, I, and I did not see this, <laughs> but I know of it. Yeah, I'm a huge Office fan, and I was really pumped to see this movie. And I watched it recently, and it's okay, like just okay, I would say. Like, all, like almost all the funniest parts are either in the trailer or they actually released a 20-song studio album of all the songs that David Brent performs in the movie and, and more. And so like, if you listen to that album before you watch the movie and then you see them in the movie, they're not quite as funny because you know what's coming. So I think if you watch the movie and then listen to the soundtrack after, if you were so inclined, that would be a better choice for enjoying the film. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm a big fan of the BBC office. So. Yeah, it's good. It's real good. Uh, other than that, like, not a lot of stuff really grabbed me this year, film-wise. But the Lobster with uh, with Colin Farrell is pretty pretty kooky, and I really enjoyed that. It's very like 
misanthropic in a lot of ways, but it's pretty compelling. Yeah, it's on Netflix. I'll, I'll probably get to it's it on eventually. Netflix. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. You might like it. Or Amazon. It's, it's got some. I'd say it's got some symmetry with Herzog in terms of the kind of vibe that it has. All right. Well, even if it doesn't, if you just say that, it'll, <laughs> it'll compel me to do it. Okay. Um, cool. <laughs> so I, I have a couple of other books. If if we have time, yeah. do you have a few yeah, minutes? Jump a back. Couple minutes. Absolutely. Um, there was a couple of biographies that I read this year. I wanted to mm-hmm. mention. Um, mm-hmm. One is a biography of Harry Cruz mm-hmm. called Blood, Bone, and Marrow. It's by uh, Ted Geltner. That's a cool title. And, and it's an absolutely fantastic book if you have any interest in Harry Cruz at all. Mm-hmm. I, I love um, Harry Cruz, and this book will make you want to go reread or pick up or try to find all of Harry Cruz's books. Hmm. Uh, and Harry nice. Cruz wrote his own autobiography uh, mm-hmm. called The Childhood Biography of a Place that is just devastating. Um, <laughs> I mean, just unbelievably bleak and rough about like being a poor child mm-hmm. of a sharecropper in Georgia, Bacon County, mm-hmm. Georgia. Mm-hmm. Um the other biography I want to mention is of Octavia Butler, mm-hmm. um, who's a science fiction writer. And she's kind of, I mean, she's kind of categorized as a science fiction writer, but I think she's more interesting than that. Uh, and that book is mm-hmm. by Jerry Canavan. Uh, hmm. And if you have any interest in Octavia Butler or you've read her stuff, it's just a really fantastic um, literary biography of a, a writer who really struggled. Hmm. Um, and she came up from nothing and, you know, f- made like forced herself to become a successful author and did it. Hmm. And hmm. I think, she, you know, she died unexpectedly of a fall and she uh you know, she didn't leave her estate in proper order, so there's some like similarities with Wallace, mm-hmm. and that she uh, she also didn't publish a ton. I think she only published ten books in her lifetime, um, hmm. but uh, she's got a fantastic uh, biography now by Jerry Canavan. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to mention one other book I read I really liked called uh, Nine Island by Jane Allison which is also hmm. just kind of like a person wandering around but it's oh, set, yeah. it's set in Miami Beach and huh. it's kind of her just wandering around uh, this giant high-rise apartment in Miami Beach yeah uh, and I really liked that book a lot another book that hmm. I would be remiss without mentioning is uh <laughs> I love that phrase. Bottom's Dream. Oh, yeah. This is like the huge double hardcover book. It's the size of a suitcase. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you could put it on wheels and pull it around the house. Uh, And when I saw this book, I was like, I got to get it. I was like, (laughs) I love a book that's about the size of a coffee table. Sure. And here's the other thing is, so for one, the book is physically maybe the largest book I own. I like building yeah, like like building stories. So I put it next to Infinite Jest and you could put like three or four <laughs> infinite jests in this thing. Um, right. It's I, like an Atlas size kind of a book, right? It's like Webster's unabridged dictionary size. Yeah. <laughs> um but the other it's not just a book either so when you open it up mm-hmm. you realize the text is written in a really bizarre format mm-hmm. and that it's got all kinds of call outs and shortcuts and uh, weird text symbols and like 
Hmm. It's if you've ever read Pynchon's um, Mason and Dixon, how this obsolete vernacular <laughs> mixed with like poetry, mixed with like it's really hard to parse. And sometimes yeah, yeah. It's, it's like Finnegan's Wake in some places, hmm. but you can get into a groove with it. And um, one day I got into a groove and read about three or four pages, and it was like that's a miracle like if three felt, or four is a miracle wow yeah i mean it's just really really slow going like i'm hmm. a i'm kind of a slow reader anyways even though i read a lot um right. and it i mean this is gonna like take me my whole life to finish this book <laughs> wow it's a yeah it's a project of so i great I, magnitude. <laughs> I, I would be remiss without mentioning the bottom's dream came out right. in 2016 it's just and it's also mm-hmm. translated so it's right. like there's From an original in german german, german okay. arno schmidt hmm. um so the the fact that it took like 30 years to translate this book. Oh, okay wow just to translate it yeah that's crazy and how long does it take to write i mean I, I have no idea there's a new yorker article about um hmm. bottom stream you should go look that up but it, hmm. i'll link to it or whatever but it's a phenomenal book um, is it like a Shakespeare reference to Bottom? Is it Midsummer yes, Night's Dream? Yes. Yeah. Um, but it has nothing to do with that, right? I mean, it right. has to do yeah. with the idea of there's some like Bottom's Dream is this really carnal like activity. Yeah. <laughs> and, and it is kind of referencing that. Right. Um, John Updike also had a book called Bottom's Dream that was a, ch- oh, okay. a, a children's book from mm. Midsummer's Night Dream which was kind of a sanitized version oh yeah um, and it was also like a children's book so hmm. gotcha um, a couple of other things is I, I realized this summer I read a set of books that were all about like someone having kind of like a midlife crisis and like mm-hmm. domestic struggles and right but they're all really good books so I want to mention them hmm. um they kind of go together as a set, I think. And one is um, Summer Long by Dean Bacopoulos. Have you heard of him? Hmm. Dean Bacopoulos? No. I oh, maybe. He, that sounds semi-familiar. <laughs> his first book was called uh, Don't Come Back from the Moon. Hmm. But I really liked his new book called Summer Long. Um, and I actually read part of it twice because I got it from the library first time. And then I got oh, it. Yeah. I, I didn't finish it. And so I got it later and started it over. But um mm-hmm. The other one is called um, called The Sky Changes by Gilbert Sorrentino. Hmm. And Sorrentino is a fantastic writer. I've read some of his stuff before. Uh, he, he died maybe a decade ago. And hmm. um, The Sky Changes about, is about a road trip of a couple who gets is getting divorced and they're still driving cross country and they've hired like a guy to drive them. (laughs) And like, it's like the guy, the the wife is kind of maybe having an affair with this guy, but they're just like in this situation. Nuanced. It's really good. Um, Hmm. Cool. The other, the third one is called Raymond Carver will not raise our children by Dave Newman. (laughs) That's a great title. And I sort of serendipitously discovered this book on Amazon. Just off the title, I was like instant order. I was like, I got to get this book. Uh Um, And when I read it, I was like, man, this is legit. Like this dude can, Hmm. this dude can write. That's a nice surprise. It's it's so well done and you know he's a professor of creative writing it's mostly set in pittsburgh it's in pittsburgh and it's really just like how blue collar and like working class like most college professors are especially if you're struggling to be a writer 
and you know you can teach Raymond Carver, but that ain't gonna raise the children. Like you still gotta come <laughs> home at night, and like, right? It's not very glamorous, but it's. Uh, I really like that book. So hmm. Raymond Carver will not raise our children. Dave Newman. Two that th- sounds good. Two thumbs up from me. The last <laughs> thing, the last one on my list, Dave, that we have not mentioned yet. No, wait. Second to last. I, I got one other book. <laughs> Penultimate. So I read one book also that came out about 40, 50 years ago that yeah. m- made a huge impression on me. Hmm. Uh, it's called I Remember by Joe Brainerd. Hmm. Have you heard of it? I have heard of him. I'm so, not sure if I've heard of that particular book. So this book is um, famous for every sentence in the book begins with the words, I remember. Uh, so every page and it sounds like a gimmick right like you would get old after, <laughs> yeah, after yeah. a couple pages but it, it, right. it amazingly it never gets old and hmm. a lot of other he started a trend of like teaching children to write poems by starting with just those two words so you just say hmm. I remember and then something everyone remembers hmm. something and yeah. it's a really fun um, literary exercise that anyone can do um, cool but I was going to read a couple of, of the I remembers out of there I was picking the book up Great. today and um, just at random I opened it this page I was like you know this this book I want to reread it now hmm. um, it says I remember when both arms of your theater seat have elbows on them I remember making designs in the dark with a fast-moving lit cigarette. I remember when all of a sudden someone you know very well becomes momentarily a stranger. Hmm. And some of the book, you know, is is literally about his past. Like, you know, he remembers um, Mary Jane, whatever, or he remembers, you know, what fall felt like, or he remembers, you know, this football player on the team. But... It's a way for him to write a memory of a time and a place um, that is just unique. There's nothing else like it. Wow. Um, And it had a blurb on it by um, Paul Oster, who you mentioned earlier. Yeah, yeah. So I was like. He has a novel coming out in 2017 as well. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that. Yeah. Uh, New new George Saunders this year, too. Yeah. I'm very Um, psyched for that. The last book. So that was the penultimate. The last book Mm -hmm. is the 20th anniversary edition of infinite jest <laughs> i was wondering if that was gonna be it nice <laughs> yes that book's okay i guess it's all right it's pretty I mean, good it has a new forward and and a new cover you know about yeah. which much could be said sure uh, and has been said has been said and <laughs> i don't know if you saw just recently ryan marnane posted a picture of a new edition of infinite jest that has the 20th anniversary introduction from Tom Bissell, but it has the old blue cover. I have not seen this picture. It's really, how did I miss that? It's interesting. It's a really hmm. bizarre. And hmm. I, I got to find that edition now. Cause I'm a completist. Wow, yeah, okay. Uh, I, I think I like the Dave Eggers intro a little more than Tom Bissell's. I mean, it's more, I think it resonated a bit more with me. Well, and I read some, someone had some feedback that Dave Eggers introduction would make you believe that you could read the book more <laughs> like Tom, yeah, Tom Bissell's true. introduction is a little daunting. Yeah. It's a kind of esoteric in some ways. Right. I mean, I didn't think so, but I'm not the audience for it. Hmm. Right. Cause I've read the book multiple times. So I'm not the, sure. The fresh You're not the reader. guy they're trying to hook for the first time. Yeah, right. exactly. But, but no, 2016 mm-hmm. was the 
20th anniversary of Infinite Jest. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I was really hoping there would ha- there would be some big celebrations and activities or something, right, events yeah. about that. And there was an event at the Ransom Center here in Austin. And right. um, I did go to it. And it was it was nice, but it was very short. You know, it was some some students got up and read from the book, and they did mm-hmm. a great job. But um, there was an event I would say not on the anniversary, but on the election day mm-hmm. at Harvard, right? Uh, yeah, which Heard about this. looked just incredible. The number of high profile readers they got in um, to come in there and read from the book. Uh, yeah, who did they have? James Woods was one. Mm-hmm. Uh, James Wood. Um, mm-hmm. They had, uh, I think, Jamaica Kincaid, and mm. um, cool. What's her name? That was the um, editor of the New York Times, Jill Abramson. Oh um, yeah. Nice. So any, anyways, it, that looked like a fantastic event. But I really was hoping mm. there would be something like a um, a jest fest. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's nice. But then that's I realized it's really the Wallace Conference. That's what the DFW Conference has become and will become. So. Sure. Yeah, definitely. And like, I was I was quite pleasantly surprised this year at the conference to see how much of a range of papers were not about Infinite Jest at all. Like, a lot of people were branching out into Oblivion, into Brief Interviews, and The Pale King. So, I mean, Infinite Jest, yeah, you'll hear about it for sure, but it's things were definitely spread it spreading out more thin, which is nice to see. Yeah, and I think there's still a lot of uncovered territory mm-hmm. left to go. I mean, it's going to yeah. take a while to cover all of that, so. Yeah, for sure. Mhm. That's true. Well, thank you for sharing your lists of books, Matt. Very extensive and uh as usual put me put my reading year to shame. Well, and that, that's like I say, that's my main hobby in life. So I, yeah, yeah. I don't, I, you know, I have rely on you to give me the music recommendations and uh, other people to give me film recommendations. So if you have yeah, yeah. some, please yeah. email us and tweet at us. Do something. Yeah, tell us what we missed. Um, did you get to see any TV shows this year, Matt? I would say that TV was great this year. Um, better, definitely better for me in my in terms of my taste than film was. You know, I kind of half-heartedly watched Shameless. Um, oh yeah, m- my wife was watching Shameless a lot this year. I remember mm-hmm. watching some of that. Is that the William H Macy one? Yes. Yeah, and, I watched a few episodes of that. Um, I'm just like it's really hard for me to commit to something like I've never watched Game of Thrones right Um, I I did like Mad Men I liked Breaking Bad like I watched some TV shows sure yeah um, Yeah. it's just hard for me to like get into something honestly yeah right well there there were some pretty strong new shows that came out this year that I would be remiss if we didn't mention them briefly uh one that i just finished watching in the last couple weeks is called the oa i started that i watched the the first couple of episodes and i liked it yeah it's pretty compelling right yeah and and, you know there was an i watched it because there was an interview with the creators saying they were influenced by wallace yeah i have the quote right here i was going to mention it so interesting um footnote here so the one of the director of the show, Zal Batmanglich, he's the brother of Rostam Batmanglich, who did the album with Hamilton Leithauser that we were talking about. No kidding. So this this brother team is like dynamic duo the of OA. pop culture. Yeah. So um, 
Yeah, the quote is, so the, the title in, the, in that part of the interview said, on the slow moving nature of the show. And he says, I think we were very inspired by David Foster Wallace, who said you have to get the audience to work for something. I feel that a lot, that sometimes I don't want to watch a series that is making me surrender to it or is going to change the rules of engagement. Then other people watch it and have an experience. So he's talking about, you know, people having experience with this particular show. And I think I think it's not a flawless show, but I think that it is a really compelling storytelling method. And the first three episodes particularly, I had to watch the next one immediately or, or else I thought I would die. So... And the main actress, um, she's also like Britt the writer, Marling. writer and producer, right? Or yeah, she? that's right. Yeah, Britt Marling, and she did a sh- uh, movie called um, Another Earth several years ago, which I thought was also pretty solid. AE um, is that AE? <laughs> another. Um, Do you remember that cartoon? <laughs> that was like a cartoon. I don't remember. Oh no, I don't. <laughs> AE two thousand or whatever. Another oh Earth. yeah, they did another film together called The East some years ago. That is about like environmental. Um, Anarchism. It's like an anarchist group that did like environmental activism. I didn't actually see it. I don't think or I saw. I saw a bit of it, but that's about it. So I thought that show was was pretty compelling. Uh, Westworld is another HBO show that came out this year that you've probably seen around a little bit. Um, explores sort of a futuristic um, questions of artificial intelligence in a really weird setting. And I think it was actually a remake of a show from like the 1970s or something. Yeah. But essentially the premise is like there's this theme park that's set in like the Wild West and you can pay a lot of money to go into it. And there's just like all these androids everywhere and you can interact with them and like go on different quests, you know, like searching for Mm -hmm. gold or like taking out bandits or you can be really carnal. Like there's just a lot of options and it's it's meant to sort of like remove the morality element because you're not actually committing these acts with human beings they're just they're just androids but then like interesting things develop within that that you know the the idea of like the singularity or ai consciousness is something they start to explore so a lot of cool overlap for netrunner <laughs> with me in that show <laughs> um lots of similar themes I, i'm what is the due date of your baby again? April. April. Right, I'm just. It might cut into some of your TV time. Just warning you. It might. Yeah, <laughs> that's for sure. It'll definitely cut into my netrunner time. That's for sure. Yeah, that's. I'm uh, so sad just, in advance. Just en- enjoy it now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, for sure. Another great show this year that Ryan Marnane put me onto is Horace and Pete, which is Louis C.K.'s show. Did you hear about this? You know, I, just, everyone loves Louis C.K. And I told you, I'm just like <laughs> contrarian about it because I'm like, I, sh- I should like him, but I just yeah. don't. This might change your opinion of him yeah. because it's 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 less of a comedy than it is a drama. And it's, it's filmed like a stage play. And so super weird distribution model for it. He just like released episodes on his website. So you can't find it on like Netflix or any kind of. Uh, distribution model you just pay for the episodes and watch them i think we talked about this before it's, yeah didn't we mention it yeah. yeah it's just like okay you take a guy who i don't really like and then <laughs> makes you, know, you pay for it and then <laughs> i mean i've got like sure i just started a new book and i'm mm-hmm. you know i'm like i want to go read i don't want to go and get well this. ryan marnane argues that this show is like is like a masterpiece of literature and i i tend to agree with him that, it, that it's right. quite strong so it might be worth checking out Horace and Pete. Um, Stranger Things was like a huge phenomenon this year. Uh, I quite liked it. I thought it was fine. 
Did you did you get a chance to yeah, see that? Yeah, I started yeah. it and I was like, yeah, this is really good. It's nostalgic. I like mm-hmm. it. And I was like, it is nostalgic. I just didn't finish it. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. If you grew up in the eighties or seventies, it's like you might like it. I just felt um, like it was intentionally pulling at my heartstrings of, of <laughs> yeah, nostalgia. Yeah, it was yeah. Like, there's no other reason for that show to exist other than like, hey, people who liked ET and all this yeah. other crap will like the Goonies and stuff. Yeah, yeah for sure. But there is an interesting thing in the OA. There's a scene where someone's watching a TV and it's Stranger Things on the TV. And so they're both Netflix original shows. And some people like wildly criticized the OA for and Netflix for like cross promoting Pro- product their products. Yeah. Yeah. And I was like, when I saw it, I was like, I think that looks like Stranger Things, but I wasn't, sh- I wasn't positive. It could have been any of those like, you know, stand by me type movies, mm. but yeah anyways um a few other shows that have been around uh but were continued to be strong i thought were the americans which is about soviet spies who live in the states in the 80s shows rad um transparent was a really good show continued to be good that show wins tons of awards all the time um the affair is good rectify is good and i recently watched uh black mirror You've probably seen this stuff around too. Right? I, I, you know, again, it's on my list of stuff to watch yeah. someday. But just... I found it really hit or miss. Like mm-hmm. some episodes were really solid. Like there's one called San Junipero that explores again, kind of afterlife consciousness, <laughs> like a lot of the stuff we've talked about tonight. Um, and there's one called Hated in the Nation, which is about like uh, in the future because bees go extinct. They this company creates like robotic bees to pollinate. And then, like, a hacker gets into the bees, and then, like, crazy stuff goes down. So there are some really strong episodes, and, like, a lot of the themes they explore are quite interesting about, like, some of the dark places technology might take us if we let it. And then I find some episodes just, like, I just roll my eyes. and like, that was terrible. I wish I never watched that. It's just really, like, misanthropic without any redeeming factors whatsoever. Um, So... That that was kind of the the list of dramas. A couple good comedies this year I'll mention. Atlanta, uh, Donald Glover from Community ha- came out with a new show this year. It won best uh, was it best comedy last night at the Golden Globes. Super rad show. Check that out if you get a chance. Mm. And uh, shows like Veep are good. Brooklyn Nine Nine. Uh, Michael Schur does that show. Uh, new girl we mentioned girls and i will say the most disappointing thing for me in tv this year was that my favorite comedy show of all time nathan for you did not have a season this year do you know the show nathan for you i I think we've talked about it oh my gosh it's the best i can't recommend it highly enough it is a very specifically weird kind of humor where like you have to be okay with watching very uncomfortable social situations because it's like a documentary style TV show, yeah. so if you can hack that kind of comedy, it's it's going to be the best thing you'll ever see. Yeah, and it's it's like stuff about like marketing campaigns. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, I, I can, yeah. <laughs> it's like this Canadian guy, Nathan Fielder. He went to actually to the university in Victoria here, where I live now, and he gives like really off the wall business ideas to struggling <laughs> small businesses, <laughs> but the ideas are like properly absurd. And then the show is just watching, like, people, like, consent to his ideas. And admittedly, like, a lot of people that he works with are, like, are 
people who have English as a, a learning language and they're, you know, they've immigrated to the U.S. So he does kind of take advantage of people in a way, which is maybe uh, obviously not great, but man, that show no, just like wreck, wrecks that, me. Like that, yeah. just like socially awkward and like totally. the stuff that happens in business situations. Like what I've seen of it, it's, it's funny in that regard of mm-hmm. just being extremely socially <laughs> awkward yeah just just like your cringeworthy moments you know yeah absolutely it's it definitely capitalizes on that on that vibe of humor for sure so there's my uh there's my tv stuff and uh any any new board games for you matt we can maybe wrap on this topic you know i did get the um for my kids we got the pokemon version of monopoly (laughs) Oh yeah. Um so I'm looking <laughs> forward to playing that. What's Boardwalk? Uh I don't know, dude. So please uh, tell me it's Snorlax. Uh, we're gonna have to go open it up now and look at it. Um <laughs> cool. it's 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 literally like that though. There's yeah. I don't know what park place is, but it's like something uh-huh. like Blastoise. Yeah. Um and then we've got we also picked up Risk again and trying to get back into oh, Risk. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um so I, I, I also, first time in my life, I was at the park this summer mm-hmm. and I was just sitting there reading while my kids were playing at a picnic table and a guy comes up to me and he sits down across from me and rolls out like a chess mat and just oh, really? just starts setting up a chess game. Mm-hmm. And I had my first like improv game of chess. Oh yeah? Um, like did he just set it up for just strangers to play against him? No, just in front of me. Like, yeah, mm. yes, but I mean, I was sitting there and he came and sat across from me and started <laughs> setting up, like challenged me directly. Oh, weird. And I was sort of like, game on. And, you know, <laughs> but of course, like a dude who travels with a chessboard is... Is going to tr- just wreck you just, probably, right? Just totally wiped the board with me. Yeah, um, he's a grandmaster or something. But it's put this fear in me where I'm like, <laughs> okay, now I have to have more than like a couple openings. You know, I right, got. Yeah. I need to know... Queen's Gambit. Uh, well, I need to, to be prepared for this situation again. So I've gotten back into, <laughs> I got out some of my old chess books and I've tried oh, to, good, yeah. tr- tried to get um, prepared for in case this ever happens again. Oh, that's good. I mean, that is definitely a contingency that we all need to be prepared for in this life. Is the, it the random, the random guy. <laughs> happened to me. <laughs> it could happen to anyone, man crazy what about you agricola what 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 else have you played oh agricola yeah i've played that game a couple times i find it to be dizzying in terms of how many components and things there are going on with it uh it's a game that you probably have to play quite a bit before you start feeling comfortable um but um other than you know the aforementioned netrunner which is you know the is sitting on the throne probably forever for me but um i got a game for christmas called codenames there's a pitchers version and a word version. I got the pitchers version and it's like a cooperative game. We have two teams against each other and there's like a secret code on the board and there's all these just kind of like weird pitchers. And so there's a code master for each team and they have like the, the solution for the, what the board actually represents. And they're trying to give clues to their teammate to, un- to uncover their agents on the board. And you get a lot of like really funny, you learn a lot about your friends in this game because you like learn about some of the weird connections that they make in their brain about how things relate to each other. Um, so that's a really cool game to check out. And also, I played a game called Secret Hitler mm. um, a few years or a few weeks ago. And this is made by the same guys who did Cards Against Humanity, yes, which is like hugely popular. 
uh, and also wildly inappropriate in some cases. But this game is more family friendly than that one, and it's like it's very similar to games like The Resistance and Avalon and One Night Ultimate Werewolf, where you have like everyone gets a secret identity card at the start, and you close your eyes, and then the bad guys get to open their eyes and look at each other, and then but one of the bad guys is is Hitler, and so the liberals are trying to enact policies until they win or like figure out who Hitler is and then, and then take him out. And the fascists are trying to enact their policies uh, until they get to a certain point and win. So they're trying to make, you know, Hitler the chancellor basically. And so like this game, I've played one game of it and it erupted into like several of the people playing with us of our friends, like in tears, a lot of just a lot of like serious emotional trauma. One person, you know, like kind of stormed out at the end and it made me just think this game is amazing. If a game can just, just wreck people's psyches this hard, this has to be a compelling game. <laughs> Didn't someone ask you not to mention Trump ever again on this show? Oh, oh, Hitler being synonymous <laughs> the, with Trump. the fascist <laughs> Secret policies. Trump. Oh, and yeah, the liberals. And the, yeah, that was you know, unintentional, but uh, maybe some overlap. Uh, yeah. might be, we don't want to trigger anyone with the no the secret <laughs> Hitler. Um, yeah. So those are my my board games. I got some video games too, but I mean, probably most people who listen to this uh, don't need to hear about video games. So they can they can get in touch with me on Twitter you, about that. You, me and John Mango talk about video games a lot. You, so you can tweet those out or or sure. link to them on the blog. <laughs> By the way, we still have stickers. If anyone wants a sticker, oh yeah, we got some left. Good, cool. No, Are you out of you're out of Pale King bookmarks? No, I still have a few of those as okay. well. Nice. Um, I've tried to send out a bunch of them. We've had a good um, response to the stickers. So yeah, if you want a great. a great concavity sticker, let me know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and like we said, uh, you know, I think it's been we've we've at least broken even with the stickers. So maybe we think about our next merchandising option. Give us your ideas if you have any. <laughs> think about doing like a, a wheel cover if you have a Jeep. That'll say great concavity <laughs> wheel cover. Yeah, we got to think of ones that are thematic to things that are actually concave. So I'll, I'll brainstorm. Oh, I didn't even think of that. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> I'll work on brainstorming those. Um, but yeah, we want to we wanna say thank you so much to all of our listeners in the last year. It's been a really good year for, for the show. We put out 18 episodes in 2016, and we could not be more like blown away by how amazing this community is and uh a huge thanks as well to all of our guests this year you guys have truly kept the show you know interesting and dynamic and worth coming back to so thank you all yeah i I just met a ton of people through the podcast you know totally yeah we've had so many great people just reach out to us and Mm -hmm. you know we've kept corresponding with them and Mm -hmm. it's just it's just been a, a fantastic experience like beyond my wildest dreams of how fun it's <laughs> totally. been so yeah yeah so we will we will continue strong in 2017 we have i think some pretty some pretty audacious ideas yes. for what we want to do this year we'll see if we can pull them off or not but stay tuned and uh thanks again for for a great year um matt if people want to specifically get in touch with you on on twitter and instagram where do they find you at um i'm at matt booker b-u-c-h-e-r on instagram and twitter nice and 
I will say you can also go to my website, mattbooker.com, mm-hmm. and I have a, a thing up there where I have a list of somewhere on there, find me, of all my social media. So I am like on <laughs> everything, man. Like yeah. Wikipedia. Um, the ubiquity of Matt Booker. Reddit, Milkshake, <laughs> uh, I, I, all kinds of stuff. Snapchat. You want to hit me on anything. Facebook. Oh, wow. You got Snapchat, too. Um, I've, never, I've never dabbled there. Um, I only have a few friends on there, so maybe mm-hmm. I need some more friend requests <laughs> on Snapchat. But, um, uh-huh. yeah, if you oh, want to see cool. all of my social media links, they're on my website, mattbooker.com. Awesome. Very easy. Uh, on Twitter, I am Dave underscore underscore Laird. And on Instagram, I'm just at Dave Laird. And uh, if you guys want to get in touch with the show specifically, we are at Concavity Show on Twitter as well as on Instagram. And on email, you can hit us up at Concavity Show at gmail.com. Does their writing do something? Does does it give you like an erection of the heart, as Wallace might say? Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> now, I guess that's a very masculine oh, uh, metaphor. Sorry. <laughs>